Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 12 Del gasped as Delida rolled off him and wrapped herself in one of his bedsheets. She wasn't supposed to be here in his chambers after dark. But what did he care? He was leaving in the morning on a trip from which he didn't expect to return, at least not as a free man. Being with Delida had caused him to forget that, if only for a few moments. As he turned a gaze at her, head still fuzzy from the exertion, he saw Delida had propped herself up on one arm. She was glowering at him. That is how you're going to leave me, Del? He grimaced, the lingering buzz that had pulsed through his body, dissipating like the bitter aftertaste of spoiled wine. Sorry, he muttered, rolling over to stare at the wall. I've a few things on my mind. She didn't know, of course, about what had really happened at the trials, which meant he also couldn't share with her the terror coursing through his veins. But the fact of his imminent trip to fortune should have been enough for her to accept his statement as truth. It should be me going, Delida said. Bastion doesn't deserve any of this. Sometimes it seems as if people think he's as much to credit as you for the victory at the trials. Del was glad he was facing away from her, given the chagrined expression that crossed his face. She couldn't know the truth of her statement, but that didn't make it sting any less. After controlling his expression, he rolled over to face her. Lida, we've talked about this. If I had my way, I'd take you without a second thought. He reached out to stroke her cheek. She slapped his hand away. Don't you try and be tender with me. Before I slipped out of my dress to shut you up, all you could speak of was how unfair it was that your fathers ordered you to say a few good things about speakers at this convention or whatever it is you're going to. Now you expect me to lie here and believe your affections? Dell snatched his hand back, rolling onto his back. My father hits me enough without you doing it too, Lida. And yet you're still so eager to please him. Dell glared up at the ceiling one hand clenching into a fist. He could hit her. Nearly any other reader would have. There was no repercussion for striking one's own property. He took a deep breath and relaxed his hand. I promised my mother on her deathbed that I would keep hold of this library, Lida. His voice had grown quiet and shook like the wick of a candle. She spent her life maneuvering Torchsire into a place of power but her dream has nearly guttered out after her death. For a moment, Dell felt a surge of hatred for his father begin to surface. He pushed it back down into a dark corner in the far back of his mind, like a disobedient dog stuffed into a sack, then locked in a closet. What was wrong with him? 
How could he even think to feel such a way about his own father? The only way I can fulfill the promise I made is to take her place as my father's successor, and the only way I can do that is to do as he says, or else risk being disinherited. Lida said nothing in reply, and for a moment he thought she might apologize. But her silence only stretched on, so they lay there, each staring up at the ceiling until Dell couldn't take it any longer and had to say something. It isn't the same anyway. My affections for you and my reticence to speak in favor of the progs at the Congress, I mean. You know how I feel about you, but saying it publicly would do nothing but get me punished and you, well, he shivered. Lida hadn't always wrapped herself in blankets when she was naked. Once, she'd flaunted her bare flesh openly whenever they had a spare moment in private. But she hadn't been the same since Father had had her whipped for insubordination before he left for the trials. And the punishment would be far worse than that if his father believed that Dell considered Lida anything more than a source of occasional pleasure. For an instant, that burning ember of hate again glowed from its cage in the recesses of his mind before Dell extinguished it once more. That doesn't stop you from saying nice things in public about that big brute of yours. Dell turned to her in surprise. Rocks? That's entirely different. Is he any more free than I am? Any more what? Harbors are slaves just like me, Dell. They're a line item on your father's reports, right beside livestock and corn, just above speakers. Come on, you can't even read those reports. That had been the wrong thing to say, judging by the ice that frosted over Lida's glare. Are you saying I'm wrong? I... You can't fool a worm, Dell. Besides, I don't see the big deal. That Duke Farston is a creep. His voice makes me want to crawl out of my own skin. And you saw what he did to rocks, or what his harbor did, anyway. If I hadn't been there, rocks would have been dead in minutes. I don't see why you aren't eager to get back at him. You don't under... For once, Dell permitted himself to trail off without finishing what was likely to be another damaging remark. He hadn't thought of it quite like that until now. I like that. Revenge for what he did to rocks. I don't actually have to mean what I say about the speakers deserving greater rights. I just need to do it to get back at Farston for hurting rocks. Lida's stare grew even colder, and for a moment Dell thought she intended to hit him again. But her open palm turned into a caress at the last moment, her fingers tracing over the bruise his father had given him earlier. I think it's time for you to shut up again, Dell. Her voice was warm on his neck as she threw the sheet aside. For a time, passion once more pushed away Dell's troubled thoughts, but they were only temporarily hidden. As he lay there afterward, Lida asleep in the crook of his arm, he stared at the ceiling, trying to reconcile what she'd said earlier. How could he care for her, yet find his stomach turning at the mere thought of speaking a single word in favor of speakers at the Congress? He spent a sleepless night battling the incongruity, but as the first rays of morning peeked through the curtains, 
he was no closer to finding an answer. Chapter 13 It was the start of their fourth full day on the road to fortune, and Baz had a problem. Spilled ink, where is my cloak? For once, the sun was actually shining, almost as if erstwhile itself had been responsible for the overcast skies. The night had been too warm to sleep under his cloak, so Baz had used it as a pillow. The tent Deliritus had brought was for readers only. It had been the ground for Baz, which, truth be told, he didn't particularly mind. It wasn't so different from his palate back in erstwhile, and it meant he didn't have to be close to Deliritus. Though, since the Torchsire heir hadn't been speaking to him since their argument outside the Duke's study, the past few days had been blessedly quiet. Gah! Where was his cloak? He'd woken to find his cloak had been replaced by a rock, and a particularly uncomfortable one at that. Baz glowered around, but no one was in sight. Liana had brought her own tent as well. She also wasn't speaking to Baz, apparently still ruffled over his surprise at her being selected as the conservatory's representative. If Baz had learned one thing over the years, it was that honesty often got you more trouble than it was worth. As he continued to scan the area for perpetrators, his eyes fell on Duke Farston's sleeping arrangements. The blasted man had brought a whole wagon— wagon. It was closer to a cottage on wheels. Painted in the Liamina colors of light blue and white, the thing could have housed a family of illits, a large one, and their goats. The duke was still within. He'd been explicit in his instructions that he was not to be disturbed when within the wagon. If anyone so much as opened the door, Ag would have their heads. Well, he hadn't said it exactly like that, He'd spoken in that calm, unignorable monotone of his, but his eyes had made clear the dire consequences that awaited anyone who intruded upon his privacy. Farston's speaker was asleep beneath the wagon, and a chain attached to his ankle was locked to the undercarriage. Ag leaned against the wagon beside its door. Though his arms were folded, he had the look of a viper about to strike. Baz met the man's eyes for a split second and quickly looked elsewhere. He decided that if Ag had been the one who took his cloak, then the Liamina Harbor could keep it. Baz wandered around Deliritus's tent, keeping an eye on the ground. Maybe a bird had taken his cloak in the night and flown off? Or a dragon? Ugh, this was... Baz tripped over what felt like a tree trunk, face-planting into the grass, still wet with dew. He pushed himself into a sitting position, spluttering. Rocks sat on the ground beside the flap to Deliritus's tent, legs extended. He had his mask off. His face seemed even paler than usual, a bit yellow around the eyes, which were bloodshot. Ah, Bastion, I am sorry. I didn't see you coming. Was that... Embarrassment in the harbor's tone? Why would he... Oh. Not much of a guard if you can't hear me coming, Bass said, rising to his feet and brushing moisture from his pants. Instead of the irritated response Baz expected, 
Rox bowed his head as if Baz were an adult and he a chastised child. It was almost funny. Almost. I'll quit it, Rox. I was just joking. The harbor looked back up at him, face earnest. Oaths are no joking matter, Bastion. Baz rolled his eyes. You haven't seen my cloak, have you? It seems to have grown legs and wandered off in the night. Rox looked away from Baz again, rubbing at his eyes. I did not hear anything during the night. Baz mulled that over. Enigmans had a way with words. Did you see anything? he asked. Rox didn't answer, staring at the ground between his legs. Why wouldn't he answer? It was a simple enough question. Baz scratched at the back of his head. Mornings weren't exactly the best time for thinking, but finally it occurred to him. Enigmans were obsessed with telling the truth and would rather speak not at all than say something that wasn't true. You didn't see much of anything last night, eh, big man? Rox glared at him. <laughs> the giant had fallen asleep on the job. Deliritus would be peeved when he learned about this. Baz wasn't certain Rox had ever made a mistake before. It'd be nice for someone other than himself to get in trouble for a change. Baz was about to tell Rox as much when Liana came out of her tent. She was dressed in black, which was odd since generally only speakers wore black. In fact, it was a black cloak, and it was too big for... Hey, what are you doing with that? Liana leered at him, then looked down at the cloak. She shrugged and said nothing. Kneeling before a circle of stones full of charred bits of wood, she began lighting a fire. Baz looked to rocks. The harborer lifted a shoulder at him, then busied himself with putting his mask back on. Bah! Baz stomped over to Liana. He stopped across the fire pit from her and folded his arms. What is this? It's too hot to even be wearing a cloak. Still, she said nothing, striking her belt knife against a piece of flint. Sparks flew and ignited on the kindling she'd arranged. Next, she began pouring some water into a kettle, all the time acting as if Baz was back in erstwhile rather than standing right in front of her. This was preposterous. Baz couldn't go this entire trip with only rocks to speak to. I... He'd been about to say he was sorry for how he'd reacted to the news of her coming with them. Liana looked up from the kettle, arching an eyebrow as if she knew exactly what he'd been intending to say. She might be upset, but she also wasn't some frilly, fragile thing. An apology would likely only keep her angered at him all the longer. But that was why this made little sense. He insulted Liana all the time. She was never this prickly. Why now did she act like he'd called her a cuss? Why did women have to be so difficult? You know, Baz said, I was using my cloak as a pillow last night, and yet someone managed to make off with it all the same. You wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? Liana returned to preparing her breakfast. Not a clue. I was in my tent all night. Well, at least he'd gotten her to say something, even if it was a lie taller than Xavier Tower. Huh. All right. Fair enough. Whoever it was didn't elsewhere of a job sneaking up on me. I don't even remember waking up. Liana continued to avoid looking at him, 
but he saw the edges of her eyes compress into what could only have been a smile. Well, either that, or you just slumber like a hog after its slop. Did you know you drool in your sleep? I do not. Liana's laughter interrupted him, her eyes sparking in the early morning glow. You actually have a bit right there, she said, pointing at the corner of his mouth. Bats quickly wiped the back of his hand across his face without thinking, which subjected him to further giggles. All right, all right, he said. You showed me. I get it. He shook his head, but couldn't prevent a wry chuckle of his own. He came around the fire pit and squatted down beside Liana. Still smiling, she slipped out of his cloak and tossed it back to him. It hit him in the face, but before he could be annoyed, he noticed that it smelled like her and smiled. What? Liana demanded. Bass started, worried his face had given away his thoughts. This stinks, he said. I'm going to have to wash it. That was a mistake. He was squatting, which allowed Liana to easily shove him over. Rather than hit the ground, though, strong hands caught him. Hot breath that smelled like wet leather and overripe potatoes hit Baz in the face. Ah! Don't touch me, rocks! Baz scrambled to his feet, putting distance between himself and the harbor. Those hands! The same ones that had ruined his brother! Baz brushed at his back where rocks had grasped him. Oh, learn some manners, Bastion, Liana said. How are your wounds coming along, rocks? Rox lowered himself carefully to the ground to sit before the fire. His wounds, Baz thought? Bloody burning books! What a page-burner he was, giving a man who'd just been run through by a sword such a hard time. Well enough, Rox said, though now that Baz knew to pay attention, obviously Rox was in poor shape. He was pallid and speaking even more slowly than usual, and when he turned to take a cup of coffee from Liana, the edges of his eyes creased in pain. They all sat around the fire for several minutes, drinking coffee from tin cups Liana had produced from her pack, which gave Baz plenty of time to feel rotten over his treatment of rocks, and the fact that he felt rotten about it made him feel even more rotten. Why did he care if the harbor felt ashamed? Let him die for all Baz cared. Well, maybe not die. Let him be in discomfort. Bastion, Rox said abruptly, causing him to dribble coffee down the front of his shirt. Liana grinned at him, which Baz pointedly ignored. What? I have something of yours. No, too late, Rox. I already found my... Rox held out an object that he must have carried over with him from the tent. Baz had been too concerned about getting away from the man initially to notice it. A worn, well-creased brown leather hat, scuffed here and there from hard use. <laughs> My hat! Baz took it from Rox, turning it over in his hands. You asked that I hold on to it for you. A small oath, but an oath just the same. <laughs> Baz settled the hat on his head, tugging at the brim to ensure it was nice and secure. He'd forgotten what it felt like to have his head covered, have his brand covered. It was almost as if he was somebody else with that hat on. He grinned at Liana. She pursed her lips, eyeing the cap, but didn't say anything. Thanks, Rox, Baz said, turning back to the harbor, and uh, sorry for giving you a hard time. 
No need for apology. You were right to... Just accept it, big man. Saying sorry's no easy thing for me. Don't get used to it. Mmm, Rox hummed in agreement. The words mean what they mean. You are welcome. What's going on here? Baz turned to see Deliritus standing there and immediately started to laugh. His hair was uncombed and looked as if it had been hit by lightning. But it was Deliritus's garment that had Baz in fits, a full dressing gown, as if he were being pampered back in his rooms at erstwhile rather than out in the wilds of oration. Deliritus glared at Baz but didn't address him. Rox, I thought I told you not to fraternize with my speaker. You swore an oath to me, yet I find more and more you won't listen. Hmm. It was the same hum Rox had given Baz moments earlier, but this time it had a distinctly disagreeable ring to it. I swore to protect you from harm, little Dell, not from the consequences of your lies. My lies, spluttered the torchsire heir. What does that mean? Rox turned back to the fire, coffee cup looking more like a thimble in his massive hands. The words mean what they mean. Deliritus opened his mouth, likely to launch into some diatribe, when the door to Duke Farston's wagon creaked open. The Duke stepped out, already impeccably dressed, this time in a light blue jacket with lace at the neck, black trousers, and ankle-high boots with gold buckles. Ah, Deliritus, I'm glad to see you're prepared for travel. Surprisingly, Baz felt no urge to laugh at the snide remark. Ordinarily, he'd have had to bite his tongue to keep himself from howling at a slight made at Deliritus's expense. But somehow it wasn't funny coming in Farston's unsettlingly calm drawl. I was just seeing that my companions were ready for the day's exertions, Duke Farston, Deliritus said, giving a bow and doing an admirable job of keeping irritation from his tone. Good, good, the duke said as he picked beneath a fingernail as if that was more important than Deliritus. We ought to reach Paper Ferry before nightfall, and I thought we might stop early so we can have ourselves a bit of entertainment this evening. Entertainment, Deliritus said, this time failing to entirely keep the disdain from his voice. Why, certainly. We've already tested our harbors against one another, but what of our speakers? Baz was midway through another sip of coffee and froze. More of the drink dribbled down his front, but he hardly noticed. What he did notice was the way Farston looked at him, just as he had in the receiving room at their first meeting, then again in the dining hall after Ag had defeated Rox. His demeanor was relaxed calm, but his eyes held a deep sadism that instilled in Baz a deep desire to hide behind the nearest tree. A friendly speaker's duel, Farston continued, still looking at Baz. How about it? The Lyritus remained quiet for several moments. Finally, he said, I'm not sure I've brought any books with me that are proper for a friendly duel. Oh, nonsense, the duke chuckled, finally looking back to Deliritus from his fingernails. Your erstwhile's champion, reader-speaker pair. The two of you will have no trouble at all. 
Why, it will be like bees against common flies when we meet on the dueling ground. Deliritus went visibly rigid. Baz nearly dropped his coffee cup. If he'd had any remaining doubts that Farston knew, they were gone now. Fine, Deliritus said. We duel tonight. Welcome back, everyone. Today is October 2nd, 2022, as I record this, which is episode 11 of season 2 of D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club and episode number 38 overall. Uh, hope you enjoyed this week's uh, chapters. We just finished up reading chapters uh, 12 and and 13 of Declaimer's Discovery, part 2 of the Spoken Books Uprising. Uh, Next week, we'll be reading chapter 14, and we'll uh, we'll see Baz and Deliritus throw down with Duke Farston and his speaker in a speaker's duel, but uh, there's going to be some surprises along the way, so, uh, so tune in next week for that. Uh, And then the following week, we'll be doing an analysis episode of chapters 11 through 14. So all the chapters we've read up to that point in part two of uh, Declaimer's Discovery thus far. So that's what's on the horizon here. Uh, In the next couple of weeks, uh, just give you a quick personal update about what I have going on now. And then we'll do our fantasy quote of the week. Uh, as I noted in the newsletter, uh, com- been I was working on uh, the second installment of my Temporal Operations Militia short story series this week. I got that finished and mostly finished revisions of it yesterday, too. So I might be releasing it to Patreon pretty soon here. Uh, you'll recall that in the first story, we met Tandy, who was a feisty veteran Tom agent uh and she was on an assignment where she visited 1865 and the site of Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Uh, so that was the uh, the first story. If you uh, if you've subscribed on Patreon and read it, um, if not, uh, head on over to Patreon.com/dtkane. Uh, the second story that I wrote uh, is about our other protagonist in the series. His name is Sherwood. He made a brief appearance in the first story. Uh, he's a tall guy in a leather duster wearing a green t-shirt with Dungeons and Dragons dice on it. A bit of a, a bit of a nerd, of course. Uh, nothing, nothing wrong with that. I like Dungeons and Dragons too. Uh, his morning gets off to kind of a weird start when he sees a dude with a lightsaber in the airport bathroom, um, and that'll make slightly more sense to you if you've read the first uh, Tom story. Uh, and then things don't get any better for him when he boards his plane and hears shouts coming from the cockpit. Uh, so that's what you have to look forward to in uh, temporal operation. Uh, the second temporal operations militia. Just that is a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? The second temporal operations militia uh, story, which will be coming out here shortly. As I said, they're kind of like field medics for the space-time continuum. You know, when uh, something goes wrong and there's an anomaly on the timeline, uh, agents from Tom are uh, sent to to fix it. 
Um, so that's uh, kind of the basis here. Though we'll see Sherwood is not a Tom agent, which is interesting, but he is going to get wrapped up in uh, in the Temporal Operations Militia, as you'll see. So uh, that's enough of that. Uh, I think I'm going to release the first story, uh, you know, publicly once the second one comes out so everyone can read the first story in full and decide if they'd like to invest further in it on my patreon page uh so again uh, patreon.com slash dtkane uh if you're interested in getting involved in this series of stories which is really a departure from my other fantasy writings more like you know science fiction uh, of course you also get lots of other cool perks for signing up uh as a patron including copies of all of my ebooks and uh, physical books as well if you uh, sign up for one of the higher tiers. And of course, as always, just a special thanks to my current patrons, Jan, Jason, and Diane. And uh, we also have a new subscriber this week, uh, Patty, at the orator level. Thanks for signing up. Patty, uh, thank you for your support and thanks for everyone's support. I know, you know not everyone can support through patreon at this time so thank everyone for you know just listening to the podcast you know just simple downloads of the show help me out and if uh, you would like to support uh through a non-monetary means consider leaving a review of my books on amazon or wherever you read and purchase books from and consider leaving a review of the podcast as well on uh itunes or wherever else you listen to podcast thank you um let's see what do i have planned in the upcoming week uh be working on some essays for my upcoming release of the ebook box set of parts one through three of the spoken books uprising as i mentioned previously i'm gonna uh i'm writing writing three essays one for each uh each of the first three books in the series and uh, those will be included in the box set only um you know so a reason for you to maybe consider picking up the box set to read those even if you've already read parts one through three uh i'll also be getting back to work on outlining part five of the spoken books uprising um and i'll probably start drafting that in earnest um probably next week i'm taking a trip to denver uh next week so probably take next weekend off um but speaking of that if uh if you're from Denver or you've been there, I'd be happy to uh, consider any restaurant recommendations you might have or brewery recommendations or really anything else that you think a first-time visitor to Denver should do. My little sister recently moved there, so I'm going to see her and see some of the sights and uh, go to Great American Beer Festival, which I am quite excited about since my wife and I are big fans of, of craft brewing. Uh, other non-writing news, uh, I got my next half marathon coming up here in just a, just a few weeks. Um, as I've said before, I'm trying to run that in two hours and four minutes this time around. Uh, really getting down to the wire here on that. And, uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm a little worried. I'm not going to hit that 204 mark. I'm not feeling quite as in shape as I was hoping, you know, running a few miles at goal pace is not, not feeling quite as easy as I would like it to at this point point in the training cycle but uh all i can do is uh you know do the workouts that my training plan says and you know we'll see what happens uh at the end of october here but uh i'll keep everyone up to date and i'll probably make another funny funny gif or something of me uh running at the end of the race that you can all uh i'll look at uh i should post 
I should post that again in a, an upcoming newsletter, the one I did for my half marathon in May, me uh, huffing and puffing to the finish line there. Um, but that's uh, that's what's going on in the world of D.T. Kane right now. Um, and I guess that brings us to our fantasy quote of the week. Uh, this one comes from uh, Guy Gabriel K. and his novel The Last Light of the Sun. Um, I'll be honest, I actually haven't read any of Guy Gabriel K.'s work yet. Um, he's been on my reading or my uh, TBR list for for quite a while, but you know maybe maybe doing this quote here will uh, encourage me to read him a little faster. Um, if you have any favorite Guy Gabriel K. books that you highly recommend feel free to email me, dtkane at dtkane.com. So our quote is, A hard truth that courage can be without meaning or impact need not be rewarded or even known. The world has not been made in that way. Perhaps, however, within the self there might come a resonance, the awareness of having done something difficult or having done something. And as always, my little essay inspired by the quote, The simple fact of the matter is that no one's paying attention to you. We look around, self-conscious, that we'll be judged by, by our actions or for our actions. Or, perhaps even worse, we act merely because we hope to impress others. No one cares. That is not said to belittle you or to cast aspersions on our fellow human beings. It is simple reality. We are all busy, all preoccupied with our own lives. Think back to a few days ago, the last time you went out in public. How many strangers did you pass? How much did you notice about them then? Do you remember anything about them now? Work in an office? where you regularly see the same people? Fine, but just think. How much do you truly take note of what others are wearing, or how they're performing, or the choices they make? And of what little you do notice in the moment, how much do you recall a day or two later? The lesson here is that you must act for yourself. Don't hold back for fear of judgment, or act out simply because you think it will make you cool. Almost no one will notice if you do something embarrassing, and even fewer people will care if you act only to impress others. As everyone knows, the only person who thinks the guy blasting his car radio is cool is the guy in the car. Don't be the guy in the car. There you go. Hope you liked this week's essay. Uh, as always, uh, let me know your thoughts on this week's quote and essay uh, by su- by sending me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com. Um, and uh, I would love uh, for you to send me your favorite fantasy quotes so I can potentially feature them in a future newsletter and podcast episode. Again, you can email those to me, dtkane at dtkane.com. Uh, so that's it here. Again, we'll be reading chapter 14 of Declaimer's Discovery next week, uh, the big duel between uh, Deliritus and Baz and Duke Farston and his speaker. Um, be interesting to see what happens 
when they butt heads here. So we'll be reading that next week. And that's it for this episode. So until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.